children's homes we our eating schedule was kind of off we didn't really get to eat three meals a day or every day at that you know at that matter we we ate whatever we could we go to church just to get a free meal or soup kitchens or get food donations to us and that was what we got our food from we have we had this area this old little building in town that we live near and that's where we went to. Sometimes we'd walk there if we didn't have... I remember walking there, I don't know if you do, and wait in line for the soup kitchens. Sometimes the soup kitchens have limits on how many times you can go there. So we can only go there... I don't remember, it was like three times, three, three times a week. You can't go there past that. They didn't lie to you. So other sometimes we was out. And yeah, we went, a, we went a week or so sharing peanut, a peanut butter jar, and that was it. And that was that was normal, though. That was normal to us to go without it for a certain amount of time because we knew our limits. Insert a corny joke here. Yeah, get a corny joke going. Coming to Baptist Children's Homes, we actually got to eat three meals a day, sit with each other at the dining room table, and it was great. Um, I was all I was so every now and then in my mind, I just want to think, oh wait, there's that day coming where we can't, you know, but it doesn't doesn't happen. The food roundup is when people get together, churches get together, and work together to help get us food for us to eat. Um, without the food roundup, I don't think that we would really have that much food to eat. And But it's amazing that the food that people donate, though, that's, that always makes us happy. It's seeing what everyone, like what we get and what we can eat that night and and there's a lot of children all over North Carolina in the Baptist Children's Homes that rely on the food that we get for the food from the food roundup, which can be from anywhere all over North Carolina, sent to us, sent to Thomasville, sent to any of the other homes that are around. And it really means a lot to see these people come by and unload their food trucks, and we go over there and we... Um, help get what we need for our house. It's really good. It's a great thing. It's amazing. I think they really get their worth out of it when they when we go and help them. We get they get to see the smiles on our faces and, and we get to thank them and it just means a lot. Baptist Children's Home, our ladies on mission, we're going to be collecting food for the next four weeks starting next Sunday uh, and th through the 25th of April. So I want to encourage you and challenge you as a church to bring food. We have three blue containers out in the vestibule or out in the uh, lobby. If you'll bring those and fill those up and let them run over. Uh, they prepare over 700,000 meals a year. There's a lot of kids in need coming from abused homes and neglected homes and they're living in our Baptist children home. So be a part of that. Let me encourage you to bring food uh, starting next Sunday. And want to thank you uh, this morning. Be in prayer for these kids. Uh, not only do we, they feed them physically, but they feed them spiritually. So thank you this morning. I hope you have a blessed day. Thank you.
Just as approached the bench Where I stood condemned And declared me unworthy To be justified I faced the judge alone No But then I heard a voice testify And there on the witness stand was a Savior with nail-scarred hands Who said, I'm forgiven by the blood that he shed
First Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And that is why we're here today. And as, as you know, we're going to prepare um, our hearts for the Lord's Supper. And I hope that through the music, through the preaching, uh, that you would take this time before the end of the service just to prepare your hearts. You know, it's, it's amazing. We, it's been over a year since we've been able to observe the Lord's Supper. So this is a special day as the body of Christ. This is something we should regularly do. So I'm excited and hope that you'll prepare your heart for that time. But we want to welcome you to the service today. If you are visiting with us, please stop by our guest table located in the lobby. Um, we would love for you to pick up a guest bag, and there is some information there on our ministries here at East Taylorsville. Uh, we also encourage you to fill out, if you've got a bulletin, the care card that's there, you can pull, tear that out and uh, drop that in the offering plate back at the table as you leave, or you can fill out a guest card at the guest table in the lobby. We'd love to have a record of your visit. I'm just going to ask you right now, as we get ready for the baby dedication, just turn around. You don't even have to stand up. Turn around, speak to your neighbor who's behind you if you haven't a chance to talk to them, and welcome one another to the service. All right, guys, so I'm going to have your attention. I'm going to ask Bryce and Kayla Lackey to come to the stage. We're going to be dedicating Lane Bryce Lackey this morning, so if you guys will come right here. You'll let everybody see Lane. He's growing up being a big boy. So I just want to say to Bryce and Kayla, I'm honored to be your pastor. So thankful for your uh, dedication and faithfulness to the church. And uh, today is a ceremony that we're going to have. This does not save... Uh, lane in any way but what we're going to do today they're going to they're going to make a covenant before you and before the lord that they're going to seek to raise this little fellow in the fear and admonition of the lord we're going to do the same thing that we're going to try to help them as best we can to disciple this young man help him come to christ and also we're going to pray for his salvation all right i, I am a scary looking guy so i don't blame me for going to mama but uh, i want to share this verse with you both it's, it's out of psalm 127 the bible says this unless the lord builds the house they labor in vain who build it. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. So you've been blessed with a child, and we thank God for that. He is a gift to you, um, and we're just going to pray today for his salvation in just a moment. Before we do that, we have a covenant of the parents, and I'm going to ask you a question before your family and friends and before the Lord. If it's the desire of your heart, respond by saying we do. In presenting Lane to the Lord, do you promise through God's grace and the help of the church to teach your child the truths of the Christian faith? Do you also promise through prayer, word, and example to bring Lane up in the nurture, discipline, and instruction of the Lord? Also, I'd like to ask the congregation, because many of you, as I share, will have Lane in maybe extended session, nursery, Awana, youth, Sunday school, all the way up. And I'd like to ask our congregation the same question. We're making a covenant as well before the Lord and before each other with this family? Do you promise to provide spiritual instruction for Lane by giving of your time, talent, and resources to help him come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ? And do you promise to pray for Bryce and Kayla as they seek to raise Lane in the fear and admonition of the Lord? If so, would you respond by saying we do? All right, we have several things we want to give you today. Here's a certificate that um, shares this day. We also have a Bible for Lane. We have, and I like to share this with the congregation as well, the Lamb's Book, which, which really explains the gospel for a person who is five years old up to 95 years old. It's an excellent book. If you don't have one, I'd encourage you to get one. Uh, we, we give this to every family. that um, has, Whenever we have a baby dedication, 
It's an excellent book, so I'm going to give this to you guys as well. And also, this is a letter from me, and this is just for Lane's eyes only. Okay, it's been sealed and signed by me. It talks about this day, about the covenant that Bryce and Caleb have made, about the covenant that you have made, and also that we prayed for his salvation on this day. Okay, and that's what we're getting ready to do today. So I want to give that to you, and you guys keep that for Bryce or for Lane. I'm sorry. And I know Justin gave you a uh, East Hills Baptist Church shirt. But would you would you pray for me today as we lift Lane up in prayer and pray for Bryce and Kayla? Father, as we come to you in prayer, I want to thank you for this family. Lord, I want to thank you for Bryce and Kayla. Lord, I want to thank you for their faithfulness to you, number one, to each other, number two, and to this church, number three. I pray that you would continue to bless their marriage. Lord, I pray that you'd meet every need that they have. Lord, help them to love each other as they love you. Father, uh, they have a great responsibility, not only being married, but being parents. And Lord, you've blessed them with a child. And Father, I pray that you would save this, this little fella at an early age. Lord, I know that you have a great plan and purpose for your life. I pray that because of his birth, that the name of Jesus Christ would be exalted and God's kingdom would be glorified and expanded. And so, Father, we pray today, Lord, as a church, as friends and family members, Lord, we pray for his salvation. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said together, amen. God bless you. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. God bless you all. Love you guys. God bless you. God bless you, buddy. Day.
praise the one. He paid it all, didn't he? Let's praise the Lord this morning. Psalms 113 says in verse 3, From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. That's all day long. When you see that God give you a sunrise in the morning, praise his name. Throughout the day, no matter what you're going through in life, praise him. For he is worthy of all honor and praise and glory. We need to remember that as God's people. This morning, I want to pray for uh, Sharon McKee. She's still in the hospital over at Fry and Rusty. I want you to remember them in prayer throughout the week. Uh, God, I had the privilege of going in and seeing her in ICU. She is doing better. She's in a step-down room. We thank the Lord for that. And then I want you to remember my friend, uh, Jeff Reed, Jeffrey Reed. He is in Catawba, and he's recovering there and be there for some time. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and praise his name in prayer. Father, we praise you from the rising of the sun until the going down of the same. Your name is to be praised. That means that we, your people, Lord, we need to be grateful. We need to be thankful for how you blessed our life with the good things of God. Father, you give us health, you give us strength, you give us the ability to be here and to worship. And Lord, you come and you live inside of us and you've saved us. You give us eternal life. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You give us hope that's everlasting. And Lord, you provided heaven for us. And Lord, you give us the opportunity to share the greatest news that anybody could ever hear, that God loves them and died for their sins. This morning, we pray you'd bless this time of worship. We pray you'd bless each home and family represented. Father, we pray you'd pour out your spirit and have the preeminence here in this place. And Father, when we take of your supper, may we remember where we stand before you as individuals. Lord, may we judge our own heart. And Lord, may we be right with you and right with others. And Father, this morning we thank you. This is the day you've made. Help us to rejoice and to be glad in it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. about the blood, and I think that should put a smile on all of our faces. If you can smile back at me, I'll try to smile at you this morning, and maybe that'll all make us feel a little bit better. So we praise the Lord. Rejected, often criticized, hid behind the childhood lies. Everything has changed since the blood, since the blood, since the blood. Oh, the blood. Hopeless fallen from the air, reaching but nobody's there, screaming quiet, no one cares. I might as well have died, but the blood, on us. but the blood. But the 
Oh, oh, oh. 
Thank you. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 15, and if you will, stand with me out of reverence for God's Word. We're going to read verses 25 through 38. I'm going to preach a semi-brief message, and then we're going to observe the Lord's Supper this morning. Verse 25, the title of the message is, The King on the Cross. I didn't put a king on a cross because we're talking about the king, and we're talking about the cross, the only cross that leads to salvation, the only king. The King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 25 says this. 
Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him. Notice how Mark puts it. They crucified him. You know why he didn't go into detail about crucifixion? Because everyone in Mark's day knew all about crucifixion. There was no reason to go into great detail. It says they crucified him, and the inscription of his accusation was written above the king of the Jews. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right hand, the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And he was numbered with the transgressors, and those who passed by blasphemed him. Notice wagging their heads and saying, Ah, you destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. Isn't it amazing how the world always has a version and a vision of a Savior that they want? I'll worship you if you're this type of God in my life. I'll believe in this type of God, not one who dies on the cross. Nothing's changed since the day of Jesus' crucifixion. Likewise, verse 31, the chief priests also mocking among themselves that the scribes said, He saved others. He himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, now notice, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Now, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard it said, Look, he's calling for Elijah. And then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let, it, let us see if Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the bell of the temple was torn from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw, he cried out like this and breathed his last. last excuse me, he said, Truly, this man was... The Son of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the cross. Father, we thank you for the tremendous sacrifice that the King of kings and Lord of lords made on our behalf. Father, not only were you the lamb slain before the foundations of the world, but Lord, you're the king. Everything we talk about today involves a king. The one king. The only king. The one whose kingdom will be established on this world and you will rule this kingdom for eternity. Father, we are children of a kingdom. So we thank you today that you alone can save. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. One scholar whom I like very much says this, Christianity is the religion of the cross. The gospel comes to us in the shape of a cross. Without the cross, there would be no gospel, no good news at all. In authentic Christianity, the cross is essential, foundational, and central. It dominates the entire landscape. It confronts us on every hand at every turn, we can never escape it. When Paul went into Corinth, that depraved pagan city, he said this, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. When he wrote to the churches in Galatia, he said this, May I never boast of anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole Old Testament is in the shape of a cross. Last week, Kevin preached out of Genesis 3. In the garden, God spoke of the seed of Eve to crush the serpent's head and bruise his heel. That's talking about the cross. When Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac and God provided the sacrifice himself, that pointed to the cross. What is the ultimate meaning of the Passover lamb whose blood protected the Israelites from the terror of the destroying angel on the eve of the Exodus? That pointed to the cross. In Numbers, whenever God struck the Israelites with poisonous snakes and he told Moses, raise up a bronze snake. If you look at it, you'll live. That points 
to the cross. As a matter of fact, Jesus quoted that in John 3. What is the ultimate meaning of those countless animal sacrifices that stained the altars of Israel with their streams of blood? It pointed to the cross. Who is Isaiah's suffering serpent, ser- servant in Isaiah 53? That points to the cross. Who is Daniel's anointed prince who would be cut off? That points to the cross. Of whom does Zechariah write when he says the Jews will someday turn in repentance and faith to the one whom they pierced? That points to the cross. Whose is the voice that cries through the psalmist's tears in Psalm 22? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which Jesus quotes here. God had stitched his word together with a scarlet seam to understand the cross is to understand the Bible. But who died on the cross? You must understand, point number one, Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. Verse 26, and the ascription of his accusation was written above, the king of the Jews. The Old Testament tells us that a king would come through David's line. As a matter of fact, when God explained this to David, David said this, who am I and who is, who is my family that you have brought us this far? Isaiah says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward forever. That is talking about a king. When Nebuchadnezzar got the vision of the kingdoms of the world, He saw all the kingdoms that came to pass. Isn't that amazing? All the way up to Rome. And then he says this. And in those days, in the days of the kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom, which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put to end all of these kingdoms, but it himself will endure forever. Talking about Jesus being the king. Micah 5.3 says, But as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah, From you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. And then our verse on the screen, Zephaniah, says, Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Resort and exult in all your heart. O daughter of Jerusalem, the Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will fear no disaster. In Matthew 1.1, Matthew starts out his gospel by saying this, This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. To prove Jesus' racial line and to prove Jesus' royal line. And Matthew starts and he gives this perfect genealogy which no one has ever been able to dispute. The greatest genealogy of all time. I asked you that day, how many of you remember your great-grandparents? How many of you know your great-great-grandparents? How many of you know your great-great-great-great-grandparents? We know all of Jesus's. And it's written in the Bible. It cannot be disputed, but it proves that Jesus was a king. Notice what the wise men say in Matthew 2. Where is he? Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? John the Baptist came preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why? Because we have a king. In, in, in Revelation 19, when Jesus comes back, the Bible says, On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So when you take the juice today, understand it represents royal blood. The king, your king, my king, the king of kings. Not only was Jesus the king, but the king that came was mocked. He was mocked. When you had a 
crucifixion, this brought out the lowest of the low in society. Think about it. Think about who would be at a crucifixion. Think about who would be at a crucifixion today. Notice verses 18 and 19. Before Jesus went to be crucified, the Bible says, and I'll read verse 16, Then the soldiers led him away into a hall called Praetorium. And they called together the whole garrison. Imagine all these pagan soldiers. And they bring Jesus in the midst. And verse 17 says, And they clothed him with a purple, clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. Then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him. And bowing the knee, they worshipped him. They did that to the king. If you notice that word robe, I, I was reading Chuck Swindoll's book on this. And he said, what that is, is just a robe that comes down about this far. So what they did was they, they took Jesus, stripped him of all his clothes, nude in front of all these pagan soldiers. And they put a crown of thorns on him. They beat him with a, with a makeshift scepter. And then they spit on the king. They spit on him. They spit on our Lord. Not only that, but they mocked him. Look at verse 31 and 32. The Bible says this. Likewise, the chief priest also mocking. Now notice, one, one scholar put it this way. The biblical words to describe the verbal torment of Jesus are very strong. All the Gospels say the Lord was mocked in Matthew 27, here in Mark 15, Luke 23. The word for mocking in the Greek means acting like immature children who are making fun of each other. He goes on to say this. With the mocking of Christ is nothing less than verbal violence. The intent is to humiliate the Savior and cause him as much emotional pain as possible. Scholars say that at a crucifixion, most of the time, the, the, the condemned person's mom was there, even if the dad wasn't. And the crowd, of course, if you can understand the type of crowd that would be there, they would talk about your body, they would laugh at your mama. All the while, you could do absolutely, positively nothing. What would you do? What would you do? What did Jesus do? Notice what Isaiah 53 says. It says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. If there was ever a time to open your mouth, wouldn't it be then? Wouldn't it be then? Peter put it this way. When he was reviled, as we just read about, he did not revile in return. It says the other two thieves were. See, the only, the only recourse you had when you're being crucified is to shout or to spit on the people yelling at you. That was the only thing. And you have two thieves who are doing that, and you have Jesus just sitting here. Peter said when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, though he could, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He said, instead of getting back at you verbally, I'm just going to trust God here. But what did he say? Notice what Luke 23 and 34 says. What did he say? And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. As they were taunting him, as they were bedding over his clothes, because Roman soldiers got the clothes of the criminals, because they stripped, they crucified them naked. Anything you had on you, they would just play a game for. Jesus is saying this, and the Greek says this. He says it over and over again, the whole time. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Now think about this. Father, forgive them. When he could have retaliated, he just entrusts himself to the Father. And what he's saying is this. Lord, literally blot out their transgressions. This was sincere from Jesus. God, I want you to, to forgive them to the point that they're saved. Now let me ask you a question. Can you pray for your enemies? Really? 
Can you pray for that person that despises you the most? Can you? Can you pray for the person, now listen, can you pray for the person that has hurt you the most and genuinely want them to be saved? Scholars tell us that's a genuine prayer from Jesus Christ. He's interceding on behalf of these people who are mocking him, making fun of probably his body, the fact that he said he was Jesus, the fact that he said he was Messiah, the fact that his mama's in the crowd, all right? And Jesus says, God, I want you to save all these people. There's never been a man like Jesus. Never. See, Jesus is a king. The king was mocked, but the king also was crucified and the king died. In verse 25, the Bible says this, and it was the third hour and they crucified him. Josephus, the historian, said that crucifixion was the most wretched of deaths. The philosopher Cicero, and you can read about his writings, he said it is altogether shameful that good Romans or Greeks should ever mention the cross. It is not fit for good, decent people to even make mention of it. The word crucifixion comes from the word, we get the word excruciating, which means this, out of the cross. No one in Jesus' day would say this, I have an excruciating headache. They would say, no, you don't. Because that means your headache is as bad as a crucifixion. No one used those terms in those days. Because excruciating meant the pain was out of the cross. One scholar said crucifixion was one of the cruelest methods of execution that has ever been devised. Central to its cruelty was the fact that crucifixion delayed death, allowing for the victims to suffer with great agony. The victims' hands were nailed to the horizontal beam, and a large spike was driven through the feet as they were placed on top of each other. From this position, breathing was very difficult and was only accomplished by pushing up on the spot to gain a breath. It often took more than a day for the crucified person to die, sometimes longer than that. However, the goal was not to just execute somebody. Crucifixion was a political tool meant to terrorize people. So the execution was public, prolonged, and humiliating. The prisoner was stripped naked and hung in a high traffic area, all the while losing control of his bowels, blood, sweat. Everything is at the foot of his cross. Everything. But did Jesus, is this why crucifixion was so bad? No, it's not. Or why the, Jesus' death was so bad? See, it wasn't just the crucifixion. The suffering that caused Jesus to suffer the most was not physical but spiritual. He bore our sins on himself. People have died worth worse deaths than crucifixion. But nobody has taken the sin of the world on himself. That's what made crucifixion so bad. That's why Mark and Luke... And Matthew didn't go into great detail about crucifixion because the cross, the cross, symbolized the king on the cross bearing God's wrath on that king for us. He bore our sins. It was not the suffering of the cross. It was the suffering of bearing your sins that made it so difficult. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, He made him, talking about Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Notice what 1 Peter 2.4 says. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. That's not talking about physically, but spiritually. He himself bore your sins on the cross. Your sins. All that secret stuff you do, even now as a Christian, he bore that on the cross. You understand, it wasn't just nails and a scourging and hanging and suffocating. 
He bore your junk on the cross. That's what he did. That's why Paul says when you come to this table, it's better not to take it than to trample underfoot the son of the blood of Christ. Because he bore your sins. That word, a theological term, means to propitiate. That's the turning away of the outpouring of God's wrath, which we see all throughout the Old Testament. When God had wrath on something, somebody had to pay. That's why you had a flood. That's why Sodom and Gomorrah burned. That's why so many animals in the Old Testament were killed and blood was shed, because God is a holy, just God. And God not only placed your sin on Jesus, but God poured his wrath out on Jesus. Notice these verses that talk about this. Look, Romans 5, 9, Paul says we're saved from God's wrath through Jesus. You're not just saved from hell. You're saved from God's wrath, people. Paul said in Romans 2, I believe it was, that if you're lost, you're storing up God's wrath every day until the day of judgment. Notice John says this. He is the propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And then he goes on to say that in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Which means this, as Jesus hung on the cross, not only did he suffer physically, not only did he bear your sins, but he bore God's wrath so that you'll never have to, ever. All your sins and God's wrath is placed on Jesus. And then the final thing we see here before we go into our time with the Lord's Supper is that the king saves. Notice verse 38. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. We all know this. The old way of coming to God was canceled. No more rituals, no more sacrifices, no more relying on the high priest. But you may come. Notice this picture on the screen. You see that white up there in the middle? That's the temple, or that's the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could go in there once a year. They say he wore bells in case he had been sent in here, died, and they'd have to pull him out by putting a rope around his ankle. You See there, you have the, the court of the Gentiles. You have the court of women. Women, you can only get so close back in those days. Gentiles, you can only get so close back in those days, okay? Because only the high priest could go into the Holy Holies, right? Notice that little hill down there at the bottom. That's Calvary. Nothing above the hill could save you. Nothing. Nothing in that white building could save you. Absolutely, positively, nothing could save you. But the king was led out to that little hill. And God did more on that little hill than he ever did up there in that temple area for all eternity. Jesus Christ died on that little teeny hill, that cross. That cross right there. And when the Bible says this, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom... What he's saying is this, all, everybody has access to God by faith. The first person saved after Jesus' death, minus the thief, was a Roman centurion. We just read it. Truly, this is the Son of God. Luke's gospel says this, he began praising God at the foot of the cross. Isn't that amazing? He understood that salvation was not just for the Jews and just good Jews. It's for all of us. There's no court of women anymore. There's no court of the Gentiles. You have access to God by faith. Do you know Him? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we go into this time of remembering. Jesus told us to never forget the sacrifice that He made. Of all the rituals the Jews did, when He started the church, this is the most important, the Lord's Supper.
Take this time to examine yourself. Paul said, don't take this in an unworthy manner. It's not talking about perfection at all. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, the Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you, Lord, for your life, your death, and your resurrection. And Father, help us today celebrate and worship, Lord, as we remember your body and your blood that was beaten and shed for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, as we start this time, we're going to ask you to remain seated, okay? And our guys will come across. Jesus gave us two elements to remember and by, and they're both in one package. Jesus was forsaken So I will never be His grace is my salvation The gift of God The work of Calvary It is done It is finished as one. He is risen. Grace is here. Love is trying.
bread represents his body broken for us the Bible says this Jesus took the bread gave thanks and gave it to the disciples saying this is my body which is broken for you take and eat it as often as you do remember me and I'm going to ask Kevin if he will to thank God for the body of Jesus let's pray Heavenly Father we are grateful that we can celebrate today be reminded of all that you endured to bring us back to you Thank you, Lord, for that your body was broken. Lord, to bring healing spiritually, to take away our sin. 
And Lord, we thank you that we can celebrate that and remember today in Jesus' name. Amen. And the Bible says they ate together. cup represents his blood shed for us and the Bible says this in the same way he took the cup and after giving thanks he gave it to the disciples saying drink this all of you this cup is a new covenant poured out for you and for many do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me let's pray together father we thank you for the blood father your word said that there's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood father I pray that we'd never take for granted our salvation father you died in our place father you've washed us in the blood of christ and father we're so thankful for that father we love you today and we thank you for doing for us what we could never ever do for ourselves in jesus name i pray and the bible says they drank together I'm going to ask our musicians if they'll get in place. What we're going to ask you to do is to stand, and we're going to sing the first and last verse of Amazing Grace. And at the end of that last verse, uh, you can dismiss yourselves. Thank you so much. Thank you. God bless you. You're dismissed and hope to see you back here next Sunday.